ask and ye receive not, because ye ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? By the way, it still is. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Now, watch verse 7. This is a verse we sing a lot with the kids. What a great truth is in here tonight. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Let's stop there and pray tonight. Father, thank you for your word, and Lord, there's a lot there, but help us to pull out just what we need in the time that we have. I pray you give us grace tonight, give us liberty, and Lord, I pray you'd speak to our hearts and help us leave here changed, for it's in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> tonight, we're going to jump back into our series on self-service Christianity, self-service Christianity. Uh, we've been looking the last couple of weeks that I was here, missed last week, but the weeks before that, of how many times in Scripture the Bible tells us to do something ourselves. Now, does it mean that God can't be gracious? By the way, I'm thankful for the grace of God when God does things for me that I, I don't deserve. Uh, someone to find grace is God's riches uh, at Christ's expense. It's a good way to remember what grace means, but there are several things in Scripture God would have us to do for ourselves, and we looked in the first week, the Bible says to look to yourselves. That means there's some things we should look to and tend to for ourselves, and then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at what the Bible says to keep ourselves in the love of God. Now, here's what I want you to remember going into tonight, the time that we have left together here to try to pull out one truth out of verse number seven. I want you to remember that God is your father. Uh, now, we know that. He's the God of heaven. He's the creator of all things. We know that. Uh, he's sovereign. He sits on his throne. But for those of us who have called upon him uh, to save us, he is our father. And as a father, I, I can relate to that somewhat from an earthly standpoint. As a parent, you know, I want to do good things for my daughter, and I want to help her all that I can. But I do understand that as a parent that there comes a place in her growth and her maturity uh, that it's important for her to learn to do some things for herself, correct, parents? Uh, I mean, you don't want your kids living with you until they're 60. You, you want them to figure out some things for themselves and uh, to go on and be responsible and to mature and to grow and uh, you know, whether that be tying their shoes as a kid, you know. I remember Miley, when she was first learning, she would come to us and she would say, can you tie my shoes? And so we would tie her shoes. Now, we taught her or was teaching her how, but she hadn't got it down pat just yet. Uh, but after a while, she learned how to tie her own shoes. Uh, but sometimes she would come back to mom and dad because she gets a little bit of maybe laziness from her dad. It's in her, mom's not lazy, but dad can be lazy at times. And she would come and she'd put her foot up there and say, can you, can you tie my shoe? And I'm like, look, yes, I can tie your shoe and yes, I could do that for her. But it's important she learn how to do that for herself, right? Uh, she doesn't need to be a 40-year-old at her office one day and going up to her boss's desk saying, hey, could you tie my shoe? She needs to learn to do that for herself. Now, she can, by the way, in case you're wondering. Uh, I remember as she was growing, I, I apologize, Miles, if we had more siblings, I could pick on them, but you're the only one, so I'm sorry. Uh, but I remember she would come, even years later, you know, as a kid, mom would pick out her clothes and lay her clothes out on the bed, trying to make sure they matched. You know, that's important. It's a reflection upon the parents, uh, and so that's why you want them to match. And 
After a while, you know, she learned how to do that, and she would say, Mom, can you come pick out my clothes? And, of course, Mom didn't mind from time to time, but the truth is she just maybe being a little bit lazy, not wanting to pick out her own clothes, wanted Mom to do that, or maybe brushing her hair. I remember, you remember that one? Brushing her hair. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you would thought we were strangling a cat to death when we were brushing her hair. Her hair was so long, and she, oh, oh, no, no, you know, and, and she, said, Dad, could you brush my hair? And I didn't mind doing for that when, uh, when she was a kid, but, you know, maturity is about going from one stage of life to another, correct? Is that what maturity is, going from one stage of life to another? And our father, just as I as an earthly dad want my daughter to mature, and to grow and to learn to do things for herself. I mean, the goal of a parent is truly to work yourself out of a job. That's what it is. Work yourself out of a job. That you create a mature, functioning, responsible adult that can leave the nest one day and pay taxes on their own. Amen? That's the goal. And sadly, today we see in our culture today, our kids are leaving our home. They're unprepared. They never really learn to do a lot of things for themselves and I heard somebody say one time, God helps those who help themselves, uh, and the government helps the rest of everyone else. And that's just about true. The reason our government has to do so much is because we have generations coming and growing exponentially who never learn to do things for themselves, and therefore they have to look to the government to do them for them. Uh, Now, that's on the political side. We'll get off of that. We don't want to go down that road tonight. Let's stay on the spiritual side. Our Heavenly Father wants us to learn to do some things for ourselves. Why? That's part of the Christian growth process, that we go from stage to stage to stage in our Christian life. Paul put it this way, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. When I became a man, I put away childish things. I got to tell you, there's a lot of men in our world today need to learn that verse right there and adopt that as their life's verse, that when you become a man, you put away some of those childish things. Uh, I could go into stories, but we don't have time for that tonight. You know, Paul says it came a point. I love the way that God told him to say this. He says, when I became a man, that means I reached a different stage in my life. Watch this. I put away childish things. You see, he did that for himself. I am a grown man. There's a thing spiritually that I, I need to be doing now, and I put away those childish things. What happened? He did that for himself. He put away childish things. He did that for who? For himself. Now, tonight is very obvious. When you look at verse 7, you can see the thing that it is that God would have us to do for ourselves, but it's very crucial. Uh, The truth I want to give you tonight, boy, is a step you have got to take in your maturity as a child of God. In verse 7, the Bible says to submit yourselves. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Now, James 4, if you read the context, is picking up on the hills of James 3. And when you read James chapter number 3, you'll find that there were uh, a lot of, it talks about the tongue in James 3. And there's a lot of things going on that didn't need to go on. There's a lot of envying, a lot of strife. And now in chapter number four, there's fighting and carnality and worldliness. Uh, Obvious signs, would you not say, of spiritual immaturity? All right? Chapter three, he's telling them, be careful what you say. Uh, Be careful letting those words come out of your mouth that are not edifying and start and stir up trouble. Those are immature things. Those are things kids do. Don't kids just open their mouth and say things that embarrass you as a parent? 
Yeah, and you're like, good grief, I have not done a good enough job teaching you when to close your mouth, right? That's a sign of immaturity. As you get older, you learn to hold your tongue. That's what he's trying to help them to do, chapter number three. And then chapter number four, look what he says, verse one. There's fightings among you. He says, there's a war in your members, you lust. I mean, all of this carnality is going on. And when you get down to it, the fact is they were spiritually immature, they were spiritually immature Christians. You know, when I was reading that in chapter 3 about the tongue, I thought about a word my mom and dad used to use growing up. It was the word bicker. Do we use that word anymore? Uh, mom and dad would say, quit bickering. Quit bickering. Now, I don't know where the word comes from. I don't even know the technical definition for it. But I know what the, I picked up what they were laying down when they said it. My brother and I, my sister and I, we would be bickering. And they would say, hey, we don't allow bickering in the house. You know, just going back and forth. It was a sign of immaturity. Now, here in the book of James, he is trying to settle them a little bit. I mean, when you read chapter number 4 and go into verse 1 through verse number 7, you will see that these people were living by their desires. They were chasing after their passions. And all of this trouble is happening because they weren't settled and mature. Watch what he calls them in verse number 4. The adulterers and adulteresses. What's an adulterer? An adulteress. It's someone who cheats. Someone who cheats, he says, look, you, you're a Christian and you, you're living for God one minute and you go over and you're in love with the world the next minute. You're an adulterer or an adulteress. You're going back and forth. You're cheating on God. And then he gives the remedy to that in verse number 7. I believe tonight this is truly one of the most vi viable and vital principles in the Christian life. We have got to get in order to mature in our walk with God. We've got to learn to do this for ourselves. Verse 7 says it very plainly. Submit yourselves therefore to God. So tonight in our series of self-service Christianity, we're going to look at that subject of submitting ourselves. Submitting ourselves. God says there's something you need to do for yourself in order to mature in your walk with God, and you've got to learn how to submit yourselves. Now, the context is vital here. He's trying to get them settled, all right? Isn't that what we want from our children? We want them to have a settled life. We don't want to see our kids live in immaturity. Now, our Father wants the same for us spiritually. He wants us to be spiritually mature. He wants us to grow up. As a matter of fact, what does Paul say, Ephesians 4.14? That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro. You know, kids, uh, look, kids get excited about anything shiny. When we would buy presents uh, for our, our, our prizes for Bible school, our words uh, were all, our, our adjectives were big, colorful, shiny. You go find something big, colorful, shiny, it'll work as a prize for kids. Why? They're attracted to things like that. And they go from thing to thing to thing to thing. And as we mature, we get more what? Settled. We are henceforth no more children, tossed to and fro. Now, how do we get there? Well, the answer is verse 7, submitting ourselves to God. Here's what James is saying. The key to a settled spiritual life is a submitted spiritual life. If you want to have a settled spiritual life where you're no more a child, uh, pulled this way by this passion and that passion, the key to a settled spiritual life is a submitted spiritual life. Now, what does the word submit mean? It means to yield or to place under. He says, you've got to settle down. Quit going back and forth, moved about by your passions and desires, which is causing this turmoil and trouble. He said, you've got to settle down. How do you do that? Verse 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Here's what James is saying. In order to be settled, you've got to be submitted to God. 
You're never going to be settled in your spiritual life unless you're submitted to God. Now, I want to show you how to do that. The first point tonight, notice this, submitting yourselves is yielding our will. What does it mean to be submitted to God? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You know, when you submit something, you present it, right? Uh, I voted yesterday, and uh, for some reason, the electronic voting machines were not working, and uh, go figure that, you know. It seems like they could send some tax dollars to get that stuff fixed, but I guess they have more important things to pay for. I'm sure they do. They have their priorities straight up there. And uh, so we had to use a paper ballot, and, you know, I felt like I was back in ninth grade again, filling in one of those Scantron cards. Man, I just started getting those horrible flashbacks of ACTs and uh, uh, Stanford Achievement Tests, you know, filling in the circles. And when we got finished, I walked over, and the guy says, here's what he said. He says, take your ballot and submit it this way. He showed me what direction to have it. He said, you submit it this way. So I took what was in my possession, and I placed it in the possession of a machine that I'm sure counted my vote. It just had to have because machines are never wrong, right? I submitted it to it. I gave up. I said, here, I'm taking what I have, and I'm yielding that to the machine. I gave it to it. I did not bring it home with me. Now, in order, watch this, to have a settled spiritual life, you've got to have a submitted spiritual life. You've got to submit yourselves to God. Now, what does that mean? Submitting ourselves is yielding our will. Yielding our will. Now, watch. Chapter 4, you see these people going back and forth between their passions and their desires. Watch what he says, verse 2. Ye lust and ye have not. Ye kill and desire to have, and ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, and yet ye have not, because ye ask. All these things are going on because they're not settled. He said, you've got to settle down. Quit going back and forth between God and the world. You're an adulterer. You're an adulteress. He says, here's how you settle down. Submit yourself to God. That means yield your will to God's. Now, you know why they're in the trouble they were in? You know why chapter 3, he had to talk about the tongue so much? And chapter number 4, he's talking about going back and forth. It's because there was contention and confusion and strife. Why? Here it is. They were yielding to their will instead of yielding up their will. All right? That's when we get in trouble with God. When we yield to our will or our desires or our, our passions. Guilty. All day long. Guilty. I get myself in trouble with God when I yield to my desires instead of yielding up my desires. Meaning I do what I want and I do what I desire rather than the will of my Father. And James is saying, look, the key to being settled in your spiritual life is being submitted in your spiritual life. Meaning you have yielded your will to God's. Now folks, look, our Father was so gracious to us in giving us a book full of examples of people who did yield up their will and people who also yielded to their will. And oh, you see the people who yielded to their will. Oh, they got in trouble. You see people who yielded up their will. Jesus, Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? Not my will, but thine be done. He, here is Christ setting the pattern for us today to yield our will to the Father's will. Now, folks, I want to tell you, the older I get, the more settled I want to be. I'm telling you, I, I'm getting to where I don't like loud noises. It's happening. I mean, it's happening. Before long, I'm going to have a fanny pack. I just feel it's going to happen. I'll be wearing socks and sandals and safari shorts. I'll look like a mailman before long. It's happening. I don't like loud noises. I don't like screaming and hollering. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm, I sound like my dad, you know. My dad, we'd be in the car. He didn't like the, the light, the dome light on in the car. 
bright light, you know. And I found myself the other day dimming the light, the, the instrument panel on my car. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's happening. I'm getting old. Hey, praise be to God we get to get old. Amen? A lot of people didn't make it this far. But the older I get, the more settled I want to be. I just, I just like being settled. Uh, even, uh, even traveling. I love traveling. I, I enjoyed uh, getting to see some neat sights the other day. Uh, but uh, even while I'm gone, I just want to get home. Uh, I want to sleep in my own bed. That's like old person statement number seven that I've uttered lately. I just want to be in my own bed. I want to be settled. All right, can I tell you how you get settled in life? You get sp- settled in your spiritual life? You got to be submitted. You got to be yielded. You got to be yielded. You know why we're not settled in our spiritual lives today? It's because we've not yielded our will yet. Here's what Paul said, Romans 7, 23. He says, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. What is he saying? What is he saying? There's a battle of wills going on. Matter of fact, he didn't call it a battle, did he, Brother Mickey? He called it a war. He said, there's a war in my members. You ever feel that way? You know your father's will, and yet there's something tugging you in the opposite direction. All right? That's the flesh. That's our will. That's the old man. We might sing about him being dead. I want to tell you, sometimes he's a Frankenstein. He comes back to life. And you got to mortify the deeds of the flesh again. Why? Because I've got to be yielded to God, and I can't be yielded to God in my flesh at the same time. There's our problem. What did Elijah tell the people on Mount Carmel? He said, how long halts you between two opinions? I believe that's where the majority of God's people are at today. The reason that we're so unsettled in our spiritual life is because we're not submitted to God. We have not yielded our will to God's will. And here's what I want you to get tonight. That's a decision that only you can make for yourself. That's why he says submit yourself. Submit yourself. Do you know, when I, when I voted the other day, uh, that ballot was in my possession. It was in my hand. And I had to make the decision whether or not I was going to submit it or not. I could have just said, you know what, forget about this. It's not going to count anyway. And threw it in the garbage. I chose to submit it. You see, I can't submit for you. You can't submit for me. Wouldn't it be great if we could submit to the will of God for our kids? Right? Wouldn't it be great if you could surrender their will for them? Oh, my goodness. Look, as a 15-year-old kid, uh, I just, something bonked me on the head, and I had a moment of sense. And I was 15, uh, June 17, 1995. That was the day I surrendered my will to God. And here we are 27 years later. And, boy, God has, has shown me so much. I've had to be a part of so much, and I'm so thankful for that. And I want that for all of our young people. But I can't submit for them. They have to submit themselves. By the way, Mom and Dad, I can't submit for you either, and you can't submit for me. But you can. What does the Bible say verse 7? Submit yourselves. You know, I'll give you a non-spiritual uh, example. Do you know why so many people in America are in debt today? They haven't learned to yield their will. They haven't learned to yield their will. I want it. I have a desire. I have a passion. I mean, I, now look, if you're in debt because of medical, hey, I get that. Or you have to buy a house, I get that. But I'm talking about so much of the debt we have is unsecured debt because of credit cards is because we haven't yielded our will. We want it, and so therefore we go and get it. By the way, that's also why America's obese. We haven't learned to yield our will. But, but I want it. Well, you should be driving through salad station. I know that. But Popeye's is on the way. And I save gas by going to Popeye's and driving to West Hattiesburg going to Salad Station. And I figure right now the gas shortage, that's the thing to do. Isn't it amazing how we can justify that? You see, I have trouble yielding my will. I know what I need, but I have to yield my will. Now, give an example. This is spelled out for us in the book of Galatians chapter 5. I'll not take time to, to turn there, but think about this. The Bible says in verse 19 
Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, and it goes on and on. That's the works of the flesh. But then it goes on to say in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc., etc. So there's the war, the flesh, and the Spirit. There it is. There it is. Now, here's what verse 24 says. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. That means, watch this, the one that you're going to serve is the one you yield to. The one that you're going to serve is the one you yield to. And the Bible says they that are Christ, verse 24, have crucified the flesh. Can I tell you, I can't crucify the flesh for you. You can't crucify the flesh for me. That's something we have to do for ourselves. Where we take up that proverbial hammer and we crucify that flesh. And we say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. Only we can do that for ourselves. Boy, I tell you, look, I, I've had struggles in my life. And in ministry, I've dealt with a lot of people who've had struggles in their life. And I've sat across the desk and wept with people just wanting so bad that I could crucify their flesh for them. They're struggling with something. Maybe in their, their, their mind or their eyes or, a, or an addiction of some kind. And they're struggling. Why? Because they have to take that hammer in the hand for themselves. I can't do it for them. Oh, I wish I could. I remember my dad telling me when I was a kid, he said, he said, his fourth grade teacher, and I can't remember what her name was. They're watching tonight. They're sitting with my grandfather tonight, and I'm sure they're watching. He could probably tell you the name of his teacher. He said, she used to tell him all the time, I wish I could just take a funnel and pour the knowledge into your head. Don't we wish we could do that? Can't. You have to do it for yourself. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh. That's something you do for yourself. I love Mount Everest. One day I want to go to Mount Everest Base Camp. That's kind of a dream of mine one day just to go. To, I don't want to climb it. I don't have that much ambition, okay? Number one, I don't want to die. That's mainly the reason. I just want to go to the base camp. And uh, I've studied and read a lot about Mount Everest. And uh, I read about Edmund Hillary, the first guy that we know that climbed the mountain. And a reporter asked me in an interview one day about climbing the mountain and conquering the mountain. And he said something I'll never forget. This was his reply. It's not the mountain we conquer, but ourselves. It's not the mountain that we conquer. It's ourselves. You see, there was something on the inside of him because I, I can tell you, just thinking about it, that same thing is on the inside of me thinking, are you nuts? Are you serious? You're, you're going to go so many miles up in the air, 20, uh, 29,000 feet in the air, climbing this mountain, the dead zone, there's no oxygen up there, there's over 200 bodies littered all over Mount Everest, and you're wanting to do that for fun? And there's something inside of you saying, uh-uh. You see, before he ever set foot on that mountain to conquer that mountain, he had to conquer himself first. And oh my goodness, is that not the same picture in our Christian walk? Do you know, a lot of times, here's what we say. When there's a Christian failure, we'll say they gave into fill in the blank. They gave into alcohol. They gave into drugs. They gave into another man, another woman. They gave into greed. But do you know what the truth of the matter is? Every time we failed, the first thing we gave into was self. That's the first thing we gave into. He said, boy, the alcohol, it was just too strong, and they gave into it. No, no, no. They gave into self long before they ever picked up that bottle. They gave into self long before they ever went off with another woman. They gave into themselves long before they gave into greed. And folks, can I tell you, every failure you've had and I've had began with not yielding ourself to God instead of yielding ourself to self. That's what beats us. So the Bible says here, watch, you want to have a settled spiritual life, 
You've got to have a submitted spiritual life. And that means yielding our will. Do you know, it wasn't adultery that did David in. It wasn't adultery that defeated David. It was his self that defeated David. That's what beat David. It was his self. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. You say, the draw of the world was just too strong. No, it was the draw of his self that was too strong. And the only way you're ever going to have any type of a settled spiritual life is to submit your will to God and say, God, I yield it to you. I yield it to you. I'm giving it over to you. I'm going to do your will as Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We yield to our will so often because we never take the steps to yield to God's will. All right? The reason we give in to our will is because we've yet to yield it to God's. And so if we're going to be settled, number one tonight, the thing we've got to do for ourselves is submit ourselves in yielding to God. That's number one. Or yielding our will. That's number one. Number two, not only does the word submit mean to, uh, to yield, but it means to place under. Look at the prefix in verse, uh, verse 7 of the word submit. It's the word sub, to place under. You think about a submarine, it is under the water. Uh, you think about something that's subterranean, like a subway, it's under the ground. Now, here's what's interesting. James is sharing a vital conclusion you and I have got to come to, okay? We've got to come to this conclusion in verse number 7 in order to make sure that we're settled in our spiritual life. Number one, submitting ourselves is yielding our will. Number two, submitting ourselves is acknowledging our place. Submitting ourselves is acknowledging our place. So what do you mean by that? We know growing up, I'm only 42, and I can still remember my childhood. It wasn't very long ago. But growing up, one of the most important things and one of the first things that, that I was ever taught as a kid is learning my place. Learning my place. Uh, you know, that's what uh, Ephesians chapter 6 is all about. The Bible says, honor thy father and thy mother. Do you know what that verse is all about? Learning your place. Learning your place. Honor means to exalt and to elevate. Honor thy father and thy mother. That means they are above you. I learned that. Now, I didn't realize I was learning that even as a toddler. Every time that mom or dad would just kind of tap, tap, tap on the, the back of the hand there. You know what they were teaching me? Learn your place. Learning your place. Honor thy father and thy mother. I, just as clear as a bell, I can remember mom and dad teaching us, don't interrupt when they're talking. Don't interrupt when they're talking. You know, mom and dad would be hanging around after church, and it was amazing how we would conspire to go spend the night with somebody, you know, during the summer. Go stay, hey, can I go home with you after church? Okay, yeah, all right, I'll go ask my mom, you got your dad and all that. And you better not go ask mom and dad while they're standing by the other kid's parents. That's like cardinal sin no-no. You know, but if you really wanted to go, you would risk it all to go and try it. And I remember if mom and dad were talking, it was my place just to stand there and hold my peace until they were finished talking and then, and then ask my question. Why? Because they were the adults, they were having a conversation, they were the authority, and it was my job to sit there as the child to honor them and keep my mouth closed until they were finished talking. I know that, that is it's probably a far-fetched ideal in today's society, but they were teaching me to learn my place. That the world doesn't revolve around me. You know, when mom and dad taught us to say yes sir and, and yes ma'am and no sir and no ma'am, you know what that was all about? It was teaching me to learn my place. Now, they weren't, you know, the, you know my, my parents were so good to me. They were so gracious to me. They probably should have whooped me away more than they did. Uh, so don't think they were taskmasters, but they were teaching me a very important truth to understand where I am and where the authority's at. 
Mom and Dad, if I could encourage you to do anything, you be sure to teach your kids while they're young where they stand and where the authority's at. You wonder why we have all these defund the police things going on in society today? They never learned the respect for authority. I disagree with a lot of people in office up there in Washington, D.C. I wasn't as happy as I thought I would be last night. And some of those guys up there just totally get on my nerves. But they're in a position of authority. The Bible teaches we're supposed to respect them. Those authorities are of God. To learn our place of where I'm at and where they're at. Now, this is specifically talking about where God is at. That God is where God is at. He is high and lifted up. And I am below him understanding that yielding means that I am coming under. I'm coming under. Submitting myself to God is coming underneath, learning my rightful place. Now, it took me a few spankings as a child and probably definitely could have used more for me to realize that I have to submit to that authority, that I don't run my house. It's my dad's house. I remember telling you, when I was a teenager, I never forget, tell him all the time, she was my wife before she was your mother. He says, and I want a wife left over after you guys are gone, so pick up after yourself. You know, dads can just be kind of gruff that way. He says, hey, your mom is not your maid. I mean, I had that one branded on my brain. Your mother is not your maid. I wasn't the neatest teenager growing up. You know, I, I wasn't an Eagle Scout. I probably could have done well to go to some kind of a military school or something like that. But they taught me the importance of recognizing and acknowledging my place and acknowledging the authority in my life. And I'll tell you, once I submitted to that, things went pretty well. Things went pretty well. Realizing that they are the authority. God placed them over me. God placed them in front of me to lead me. And it's my job, according to God, to follow them and submit to that authority. Now, why is that important? Well, peace came in my life after I submitted to that. Oh, that if I could share something with young people today, maybe even some adults today, you'd be amazed at how much peace you find in your life when you finally submit to authority. It's amazing. You submit to authority. Now, why does that matter? Well, here's, here's the deal. You'll never have God's peace in your life until you acknowledge God's place in your life. You're never going to have God's peace in your life until you acknowledge God's place in your life. Do you know why they had trouble in chapter 3 and chapter 4? Do you know why there were strife and contentions? What does verse 1 say? Wars, fightings among you, war in your members, all these things going on. Do you know why that was happening they hadn't submitted their will to God's and acknowledged their place. They were still fighting for their will and what they wanted. One of the greatest examples is Jonah. We pick on him a lot, but hey, it is what it is, right? As a matter of fact, I'm going to read it for you right quick. We know the story of Jonah for the sake of time. I'll not read it all, but here's what I want you to, to understand. God called him. Then what did Jonah say? No. Do you know when God calls you to do something and you say no, you have now overruled God? Keyword over. When God gives you his will for your life and God gives you his plan for your life and you say no, you have just overruled God. That means you have now elevated yourself in the place that God should be. By the way, that never turns out right. God would rather have you submit. So we know the story of what happened to Jonah. We know how God put him on the boat, and, or, or he put himself on the boat. God rocked the boat. God swallowed him by the fish. In the bottom of the whale, he says this, verse 1, chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. Interesting choice of words. The Lord you keep reading in chapter number two, 
count how many times the Bible says, and Jonah used the words, Lord. Verse 6, O Lord my God. Verse number 10, and the Lord. You see, using that word, Lord, Jonah was finally acknowledging God's place in his life. Your Lord. Your Lord. Now, finally in chapter 2, Jonah is doing what? He's submitting himself. He's submitting himself. Here's the sad thing tonight. The sad thing is oftentimes God has to bring us low for us to finally realize that he's high. God has to put us in the belly of a whale, in the bottom of the ocean, before finally we acknowledge God's place in your life. Do you know Jonah did not have to get on that boat? Jonah did not have to get swallowed by that whale. All Jonah had to do was submit himself to say, okay, God, I yield myself to you because you're up here. Jonah could have called him Lord long before the whale. The sad thing is how often in our lives do we have to get brought low before finally we look up and confess that the Lord is the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, what a great reference tonight that goes right along with this point. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due season. Humble yourself. That means I'm going to bring myself low. I'm going to bow low. Why? Because I am. All right? I have no reason to exalt myself in God's place. I have no qualifications to overrule God. He is high and lifted up on his throne, and that's where he belongs. And if he is high and lifted up, I am low and down and out, right? You see, I am submitting myself to God, and I'm acknowledging the place that I have. Sad story about Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 5, we read, the Bible says, but when his heart was lifted up, oh, be careful, be careful when your heart gets lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Now, think about that word around with 1 Peter 5. The Bible says, humble yourselves and he will exalt you. What did Nebuchadnezzar do? He exalted himself and God humbled him. Why? God wants you to see your rightful place and his rightful place. When was Saul brought low? Well, the Bible says, when thou wast little in thine own eyes, God exalted him, didn't he? When he was little, when he was low, God exalted him. And when he got too big, God brought him down. What happened in the life of Saul? Same thing in the life of Jonah. They forgot their place. You know, I believe that's what's happened to America. You know, I watched what was going on last night in the election, watching what was going on around our country. And uh, look, I don't want to get political with you and all that, but I watched some of the people that got elected last night in this country. I'm, I'm talking about landslide wins in this country. And I looked at my wife and I said, how on earth could someone who stands for all of these things, contrary to the will and the word of God, abominations according to the will and the word of God, and yet people swept them into office? I'll tell you what's happened. America's forgot their place. We forgot our place. That we once were one nation. What? Under God. We forgot our place. Now, what happens when we forget our place? God brings us down. But, oh, watch this. If we would just submit ourselves, yield ourselves, and acknowledge our place before God, that God is the one that's high and lifted up, not us. Matter of fact, is that what Isaiah said in chapter 6, verse 1? In the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. That was verse 1. What did he say in verse number 5? Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. It's amazing. 
When you put God on his rightful place, high and lifted up, you see yourself as you really are. That's the problem with our country. God has been dethroned. We've brought God down, and we start thinking, well, you know what, God? I can see eyeball to eyeball with God. Oh, no, we cannot. God should be high and lifted up, exalted upon his throne, and we've brought him down, and oh, my soul, God's going to have to bring us down before finally one day we look up. I believe with all my heart tonight, it'd be good for us every morning to take some time to make sure God is in his rightful place. Take some time to make sure God's in his rightful place. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Look, I don't know if it's possible for the devil to mess with your spirituality while you sleep, but I think it would help you out just in case he did to make sure every morning when you wake up that God is seated high and lifted up on the throne of your life. I mean, I don't know, you know. You might drift a little bit in your sleep. It could happen. Make sure tomorrow morning that he's high and lifted up. Why? Because if God is in his rightful place, you'll see you in your rightful place. And when you see yourself low and down out as we really are, you know what you want to do? Submit yourself to him. Woe is me. God, I can't without you. I'm going to submit myself to you today. So what are we talking about tonight? God says something you can do for yourself. Submit yourselves. What does that mean? Yielding your will. Number two, acknowledging your place. Submitting myself to God means sub, under God, making sure he is in his rightful place. Finally, I'll give you this and we'll close. Notice there's a great benefit to this in verse 7. Oh, this is one of my favorite verses. I mean that. The Bible says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He will flee from you. Talking about the devil now, this is great. The third thing I want you to notice tonight before we close, submitting ourselves to God is strengthening our stand. When you submit yourself to God and you yield yourself to God and acknowledge your place before God, you're strengthening your stand. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, there's a lot of pestilences in this world I wish would go away, don't you? I mean, just pick them. Love bugs, mosquitoes politicians, I mean, whatever you want to put on there, just put it on there. Long-winded preachers, whatever you want to put on there. I can't see your list, so you write it, and we'll just live with it, all right? A lot of things you want to go away, but I promise you, there is nothing I want to go away anymore than I want that Satan's temptations and trials and oppressions to go away. Leave me alone. I'm like, don't you have something better to do? I mean, sometimes you feel like he's camped out at your back porch. You feel like when you wake up in the morning, the reason you better acknowledge him first thing in the morning is because if you don't, I promise you, he's probably away. Satan's waiting right there. He's going to bring grief into your life. Notice the Bible says in verse 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Do you know, I believe with all of my heart tonight that so much of our struggle is due to the fact that Satan knows we're not submitted. He knows we're not submitted. By the way, he can tell. He can tell. So how do you know that? <clears throat> Remember God and Satan having a conversation about Job? Where have you been? What have you been doing? I've been going up and down and to and fro in the earth. What a scary thought that that lion seeketh who he may devour is still out and about today, alive and well, temporarily. The Bible says that God says, Have thou considered my servant Job? And then Satan says, You've built a hedge about him. He knew. He knew. I believe with all of my heart tonight that Satan knows whether we have submitted ourselves to God or not. 
He knew Job had. He knew Job had. I'm sure he had been to Job's house and tried to get in and couldn't get in and went on to somebody else's house who wasn't submitted to God. Somebody who wasn't yielded to God. He said, how do you know Job was yielded? He was perfect, upright, feared God, and eschewed evil. That means he was yielded to the will of God in his life. And because he was yielded, it strengthened his stand. Satan couldn't touch him. There have been times in my life where the devil has... You watch one of those National Geographic, uh, you know, African shows and poor little gazelle walking out there just having a good old time, frolicking in the savannah, doesn't see the big lion over there in the grass. And he's, you know it's coming. You ever wonder how those cameramen sit there and watch that? And then after they kill him, I'm like, can I have the horns, you know, put on my wall in my office? That's always kind of wonder stuff like that. Old gazelle's walking around there and old lion comes out. And, he didn't seem coming. Didn't seem coming. That's how the devil is with us. He knows we're not yielded. He knows we're not committed. He knows we have not submitted ourselves to the Lord, and we are fair game. Fair game. The Bible says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. You have yielded yourself to God. And, oh, can I tell you, I think it was Andrew Murray, the great preacher, says that uh, God is ready to take full responsibility for the life yielded to him. That when we yield ourselves to him, oh, we're strengthening ourselves. We think, watch this, when we yield, we think it gets us weaker, don't we? That when I yield and I give up something, that makes me weaker. No, it makes us stronger because now we've yielded to the strength of God. We've gone and hid in the shadow of the lion of the tribe of Judah. You know, the devil just goes about like a lion. We have the lion of the tribe of Judah. When you submit to him, you're yielding to his strength. I believe this with David and Bathsheba, David's great fall. That one event in David's life where he gave the enemies of God a great opportunity to blaspheme. I think about that event when the lion got David. I think the devil knew he was supposed to be at battle. And he's sitting back and he's watching David leave the front of the battle and go home. David's out of place. David's out of place. He's no longer yielded to God's will. He was the king. Kings go forth to battle. That's where he belonged. And Satan's watching over in the grass as that lion. He's out of place. And he's waiting until he gets far enough away. And there's Bathsheba. And because David wasn't yielded to God's will, he ultimately yielded to his will. You see, he wasn't yielded. I believe tonight, that's a lot of our struggles. Satan knows we're not yielded. Uh, you know, I uh, got married 17 years ago, going on 18 years ago, and had this wedding ring here. And, you know, I, I've only taken it off one time. Uh, and, and my fingers are so fat now that it swallowed it, so I don't think it'll come off anymore. If you think about it long enough, you get that claustrophobic feeling, right? When you can't get your ring off. Oh. This ring doesn't make me married but it reminds me of a commitment that I made. It reminds me of a commitment that I made. It reminds me that, you know, for 25 years, I was an eligible bachelor. Not a very eligible bachelor, but I was still not married, so I was a bachelor. I was out there on the market. Thank the Lord my wife surrendered to marry me. God's will for her life. But, you know, this reminds me that I have yielded to one, and that is my one, and I've committed to her. And, you know, 
there, there might be some, you know, far-sighted evil women in the world who comes my way one day and tries to lure me away and, oh, how wonderful it would be to say I'm committed to another. No, look at here, look at here. I've, I've made a decision. July the 9th, 2005, I committed, I submitted to her. Here's our problem spiritually. Too many of us are still on the market spiritually. You haven't committed to God. You haven't submitted to God. I'm not talking about you don't love God. I'm not talking about you don't think about God and don't read God's word. I'm talking about you haven't yielded to him. And Satan knows it. He knows it. He watches us and he can tell in our life we haven't yielded to God that we're going to play both sides. That's what this was all about. You adulterers and adulterers, you're going back and forth. You're not committed. And I promise you one day that lion is going to be waiting at the crossroads between God and the world. And you're going to keep scampering back and forth. God in the world. God in the world. He's coming for you, buddy. He's going to pick you off. Why? Because you weren't fully yielded to God. If you just yielded to God, you could have hid within the shadow of the cleft of that rock and been safe. But our problem is we don't submit ourselves. You see, that's not something God's going to make you do. Your preacher can't make you do it. Your Sunday school teacher can't make it. Your parents can't make you do it. You have to submit yourself. Okay, I'm yielding to you. I acknowledge my place. Why? Because I want to get to the place when I resist the devil. He will flee from you. I believe tonight our Father, I know our Father loves us more than I as an earthly father love my child. And boy, I want her to learn to do some things for herself. I want her to become a mature, responsible adult where she can function on her own. Our Heavenly Father wants that for us spiritually. He wants us to be able to make it out there in the world. He wants us to be able to stand out there in the world. He wants us to be able to survive out there in the world. He says, hey, at some point, you've got to submit yourself. I can't do it for you. You've got to yield yourself, acknowledge your place, and in doing so, you strengthen your stand with God. I pray tonight, if the devil were to come to your home, Say that evil day, the Bible talks about in Ephesians, were to come your way. That you could have done all to stand in that evil day because you've yielded to God. I yielded. Not my will, but thine be done. Tonight, are you submitted? Have you submitted yourself to God? Or are you still holding that ballot? Hmm, trying to decide. Uh, no, can I tell you, why don't you go ahead and submit it to God tonight? Submit yourself. Only you can do it for you. And I'll promise you tonight, oh, what strength you will find when you yield yourself to him.